This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another episode of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined as I am every week by Bazooka Joe Valtellini. We've got a Bellator light heavyweight tournament to discuss. We've got the welterweight title of the world in the UFC on the line this weekend. No shortage of things to talk about, as always, in the UFC. But uh, I, I wanted to start with the, the Bellator press conference yesterday. Uh, I thought it looked really, really, you know, big time. Like, it seemed like a really big event. I liked the way that they did it. I thought that the production value was fantastic. And uh, it really actually got me hyped up for their upcoming season starting in, in April. The big news uh, on the – well, there's a couple big things, I guess, on the Bellator front. The first is that they're going to be on Showtime from here on out, which is a big jump from uh, CBS Sports – uh, network, which is where they were uh, before their, I guess, their deal with the zone kind of fell apart. So uh, Showtime will be the exclusive home. And it's nice to see Combat Sports back on Showtime. If you remember back when Strike Force was on, uh, Showtime is where most of their cards were uh, televised. And uh, of course, you've also got uh, the light heavyweight Grand Prix, which I think was the way to go. Uh, I was surprised by one of the entrants, but we'll get to that. And uh, of course, the finale of the featherweight. Grand Prix is upon us. You got the semifinal between Patricio Pitbull and Emmanuel Sanchez, and uh, on the other side of the bracket, Antonio or uh, AJ McKee, rather. Antonio's his dad. AJ McKee is uh, waiting for, although he is Antonio Jr., so technically he's Antonio McKee. He's waiting for uh, his his uh, finalist to be determined. So, uh, did you watch that, Joe? Did you see any of uh, any of that Bellator press conference? No, I didn't get to watch it, but uh, I was been following along. I mean, I've been reading about what's going on, and it's it's big deal and. I wasn't sure I was going to ask you if, if the Showtime is a big deal, you know, because, I mean, it's harder um, for people to watch Showtime than it would to be Spike in my eyes. Uh, yeah, well, I guess Spike is now Paramount Network. Oh, Paramount, uh, yeah, okay. Showtime would probably be in less homes than the Paramount Network, but uh, it's also on Friday nights, which I think is good. Like, they're, they're building consistency, which I think is what's important, and I, I think that, you know, if people want to watch Bellator, uh, I think, you know, it, it certainly helps push uh, Showtime subscribers or I guess subscriptions for Showtime, if, if that's what people are interested in. So uh, it's good news on that front. I, I still have no clarity as to where it's going to air in Canada. I've been asking everybody yeah. at Bellator, and nobody's been able to give me a, a clear answer. So as soon as I have that info, I will provide it. I know the TSN shows uh, Showtime boxing, but I don't know what our what our deal with Showtime entails and if Bellator is going to... Where, where Bellator is going to air in Canada. So uh, That would kind of be great if it was on TSN, to be honest. Hey, man. Would that more... be something TSN would be great? Yeah, the uh, more combat sports on TSN, said. the better. For sure. I mean, we already are the home of the uh, UFC and the PFL, so, you know, can't hurt. Yeah, keep it coming. But we'll, uh, we'll have to see. I don't, and I don't have... And one day, the home of glory kickboxing as well one day, right? Nice, yeah. Hey, man. I, like I said, the more combat sports, <laughs> the merrier. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sending anybody we're away, but it's not, it. not up to me. If I, that, that's, those questions are all above my pay grade, so... Uh, I remember a few years ago, Aaron, I remember we went into the TSN studio where we used to do the podcast pre-COVID, and I just remember asking you and being like, how is, well, I don't remember what it was, I'm like, how is bowling still on TSN, and, or curling, it was curling, and you're like, ah, Joe, curling's our highest rated uh, Not our highest rated, like, but the, huh? the ratings or for curling the are extremely like, high, oh, yeah. No luck for kickboxing, so if, if curling and and lawn bowling on TSN is doing better than kickboxing. But people know. always you say, oh, why is TSN airing curling? But nobody ever, like, looks into it. Like, there's obviously a reason why we're airing curling. I mean, yeah, it's for an older demographic, and uh, old people like to watch television. So it's, yeah. you know. But, uh, yeah, really curling is curling, so. a very Canadian sport. It does well. So, hey, you know, yeah. stop stop, stop using curling as your, uh, as your scapegoat. Curling does well. That's it. Yeah, I know, and it's a real sport, you know, and I always see golf and I see all these other shows and it just should be a, a, a TSN channel just for fighting, hosted by Aaron Bronsetter and Bazooka Joe, 24-7. Well, again, I'm, I'm not, uh, that's all above my pay grade, but I'm certainly well, not balking at the, the idea. we got to put the vision out, Aaron, we got to yeah, think yeah. big. Yeah, all right, set yeah, let's the manifest it. mindset out, yeah, <laughs> the, law, the law of attraction, all right. creating it. Well, uh. Those uh, the the Bellator light heavyweight Grand Prix. Uh, the one Ooh. I mentioned there was one surprise name. It was the champion of ACA. He's facing Corey Anderson. But I don't know much about uh, this gentleman whose name is very difficult to say. Yeah, I was going to uh, say try it. Uh, well, I'll pull it up. But uh, he is facing uh, Corey Anderson in the first round and is actually a favorite. So while I don't know about him, it seems like he is uh, you know a very legitimate contender in this tournament. And uh, I'm just pulling his name up here. Like, Do- I can't believe these matchups. Dovlajan Yagshimuradov. 
Dolajan Yagshimuradov. Get, get, get used to saying that name because go. it seems like yeah. he's a, a pretty big deal. He's actually he's now flipped one. to the underdog, but he was the, he opened as the favorite. He was going to be one of those commentators where they're going to have to give him a nickname because they won't be able to say his name every time on fast action. So I'll be curious to see what they do. Yeah, well, but he, every matchup is, is stacked. The one that I kind of wasn't hoping it would be in the first round, but at least we're getting it, was the Anthony Joshua-Yoel no, Romero. No, so people are saying that. People are saying Anthony Johnson-Yoel Romero. Uh, why put that in the first round? Why not build towards yeah. it? No, no, no. You have that on your plate. Like, you have... If everybody's watching the tournament so they can see this bout, eventually, and why risk it? Why put, like, Corey Anderson against uh, Anthony Johnson... Get, you know, Corey Anderson takes Anthony Johnson down, holds him down. Then you then you lose out on the Romero-Johnson fight. Romero-Johnson fight is the fight everybody wants to see. I love that Bellator put it in the first round. I, I love that that's, that's the way to think about it because the champion is neither of these guys. Nemkov is the champion. And if you want to build towards that fight, why why risk it and, and have it fall apart on you when ultimately you're now put in a position where you can just make the fight right off the bat? I like that. I think that's the way to do it. And I think there's too many, like savages in the tournament to like there's too many variables let's be honest like i think anyone in the tournament could potentially win oh for sure I mean, everyone's got a great chance so i mean it makes sense that you do it but i mean just anything like you put yoel against anyone in that tournament you'll you'll be excited or you put you know rumble there against anyone i just think any matchup's exciting i, I i'm still a believer and i like the old school fun of making the turn tournament random I love the randomness to a tournament so people can't pick, predict, and I kind of hope they kind of do those fun things in the future, but... They, they did it with the Featherweight Grand Prix. Remember they had that selection show where you could choose what date with you were going to have and your opponent? Or something, yeah, right? right. I like that. Yeah. I thought but that I mean, was random cool. Random draw. All yeah. show up on one night. You're all fighting in this. Pick a name and go. Pick a name and scrap. Yeah, well, then you can't really prepare for it, but I think that's what kind of makes it cool, right? That's fun of a tournament, right? That's the whole art of martial arts like the thing is what people don't understand getting to the big show you never really knew your opponent half the time you would just show up to the fights and you're in a, a, a tournament like you just you don't know who you're fighting what style are they self-par they not you just fight and you just hope your training is good enough to to be able to do it well i gotta say you gotta hand it to bellator because that's what everybody's talking about right now and we're in a ufc pay-per-view week so I mean, kudos to them yeah. for, for taking uh, getting some attention on them during this time. But uh, I don't even think the UFC could do a light heavyweight this stacked. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. I don't I know. I don't even think the UFC could do a, 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 a literally a light heavyweight that stacked. I don't yeah, well, let's, so. let's, that, let's name some names. So you got Anthony Smith. You got um, uh, Yuri Prokhashka. Right you got Prokhashka. You got Dominic Reyes. You got Volkan Uzdemir. You've got... Um, of course, the champion Jan Bojovic. Uh, then you get like the Johnny Walkers. The Johnny Walker. There's fun names in there. I don't I mean, know if it's it was, uh, yeah, but I don't I know, know if it's as big. You're right. Power. It might not yeah, be as much star it's power. It's an honest. It's being honest. You know, I'm a UFC guy for sure, but uh, this tournament stacked. Got to give credit where it's due. Well, so let me put you on the spot. Who's winning? Who's going to win this tournament? The problem is, I don't. I haven't watched enough about this uh, Nemkov. I haven't watched enough about Menkov to see how good he is, but he's the champion for a reason. Um, I would like to say, honestly, like let me take another one close look at the bracket, but my gut tells me something like Corey Anderson, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting pick. I would go with Nemkov. I, don't mind. I think I think Nemkov's going to win. I think he'll he'll remain the champion. I think he's the best of the bunch. I think he's he's might be the youngest of all of them. Um, I've always been a, big on Vadim Nemkov and. Uh, I'm, uh, it's, not, it's nice to see him get some shine here, and I think it's good that he's going to be put in there with a lot of these big names. I hate the matchup, though, with Phil Davis in the first round because okay. Phil Davis can easily win that fight. It's a five-round fight. Phil Davis has a, a great motor. Phil Davis is good at outpointing people. He, he's a, a very conservative fighter. The last thing you want is for your champion to lose a five-round you know, chess match with, with Phil Davis. Yeah. I mean... Like I said, I don't know enough about Nankoff, but Corey Anderson has a fantastic shot. Bader and Machida, I feel like these guys are almost past their prime to to do some of these bigger names. Well, Bader won the heavyweight tournament, but the heavyweights are, tend to be yeah, kind of older a little anyways. Bit different. Yeah. Phil Davis seems to be not at his peak anymore, and we know Yoel, you know, in his 40s. Rumble Johnson hasn't seen in a while. So if this Nemkov is, is great, my understanding, he's a, a phenomenal striker. 
Um, so against Corey Anderson, well, there's also the unknown. Like Yagshimuradov is is an interesting name too, right? Because nobody really knows about this guy. And if you're the champion in yeah. ACA, you're fighting good competition. Yeah, and I'm sure back there, and the, they have a lot of good wrestlers out there too. So I'm sure, he's probably used to that style. Right. So uh, I, I I I like the way the bracket plays out. I mean, the Nemkov Davis, I would probably have maybe maybe switched it out to be maybe Nemkov versus Machida. Uh, and then you have Corey Anderson versus Bader and Phil Davis versus Yagshimuradov. Maybe that's how I would have done it if I would have tried to do anything differently, but I, I like the way that it that it came together. I think that it, it makes a lot of sense. Do you think Bader gets past Machida? Um, you know, it's a good matchup because the first time they fought, Machida knocked him out. But I think at the time, they were at different stages of their career, so I would have to lean Bader. I mean, Bader's a pretty sizable favorite in the fight. He's a, a minus 450 favorite. But uh, keep in mind, Machida beat him last time, and, and styles make fights. And I think this is actually a, you know, it's a good stylistic matchup for Machida. I would I would bet Machida in that spot, honestly, like at plus three fifty, knowing that he's already beaten Bader in the past. Because if you remember that fight, Bader was chasing him the whole time and trying to get him take him down, and he was just Machida. Just you know, he he has that that phenomenal precision and timing. Timing, yeah. Where even the, like I don't think his power is ever is is probably any less than it was back when he was in the UFC or when he was younger. He just, he's always had that timing. And, and all it takes is one when you have that kind of karate, uh, you know, that precision with karate and that timing. Uh, especially he's if he's got a guy chasing. he's in his 40s now, right? He's got to be yeah. in his 40s. Yeah, he's in his Bader's 40s. close to that too, though, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I, I imagine the average great. age in this tournament is probably like 35 or 36. Damn. Now, do you have the odds on you? I'd be I curious do. to see the Yoel Romero, Anthony Joshua. Okay, well, you keep saying Anthony Joshua. It's Anthony John- Johnson. Anthony Johnson, sorry. That's okay. Both, lately, it's both all big... been Anthony Joshua lately. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, I, I'll I give you a pass. At least, he, at least he's a combat sports athlete. You're not saying something. Yeah, somebody totally you different. You're not saying Antonio Johnson or something. Like I said, Antonio McKee earlier. Uh, yeah, so it opened up with Romero being a minus 150 favorite and Johnson plus 120. And now it's minus 120 hmm. Romero, minus 110 Johnson. So near, near even odds. Yeah. I honestly, I'm I'm leaning a little bit towards uh, Anthony Johnson. There you go, Anthony. I had to leave it look. I was like Anthony, make sure I said it right, Johnson. Uh, well, here's yeah, the thing: is I'm Anthony Johnson going to knock win. Yoel Romero out? Because that's how Anthony Johnson wins fights. Romero is is used to fighting five rounds, so I understand why Romero is the favorite because Romero's got like this crazy chin. When was the last time Romero was knocked out? It probably would have been back when he fought uh, against Feijao. <laughs> Like strike force, I can't think of any other time unless I'm unless I'm forgetting something. He didn't get knocked out by it's Izzy. Neck. It's a big Went neck the distance with Paulo Costa. Didn't get knocked out by by Whitaker either time. Yeah, I I, I can't remember the last. It must have been against Feijao in like 2011. So that's like almost 10 years ago. Damn. Yeah. So I mean, that's why I think that's probably why he's favored over Anthony Johnson. But I I love that fight. I'm excited to see how that one goes. Yeah. Me too. I have to wait till April. Uh. And uh, they also mentioned, I think they mentioned the bantam, a bantamweight title fight as well between Archuleta. I'm trying to remember who it was. Um, that's want... not uh, the Pitbull fight, is it? No. Pitbull and Sanchez? No. That's, oh, uh... sorry. It's Sergio Pettis. Sergio Pettis won Archuleta for the oh, bantamweight nice. title. I like that fight too. So that should be yeah. a, that should be an interesting one. Um, all right. Well, we've got a, a pay-per-view on our hands this week. Main event, Gilbert Burns taking on... Kamaru Usman. Uh, I, I really like this fight a lot, too. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting watching two guys that are very comfortable with each other that, that know what the other brings to the table when they're going uh, head-to-head. Do we know how close these guys were in the training room? Were very they, close. like, helping each other yes. out in the camp? Yeah, Usman's, Usman's been in Burns' corner before, like, okay. for a fight. So, I mean, they, they were very close. And, you know, I watched the anatomy of a fighter that uh, Will Harris puts together. It's fantastic if you haven't uh, had a chance to see it. But the first episode... Uh, of this series with Usman, uh, you really like Usman said things that he hasn't said in interviews, which was okay. that um, you know he says he's been fighting demons going into his last three his three title defenses. So with Colby, he said he was fighting somebody who kept bringing race into it and kept making it like this really ugly thing um, in terms of the the you know the the lead up to the fight. And the fight with Masvidal, he said Masvidal kept saying he was going to baptize him. He's knocking everybody out. He's, you know, coming after him at, at events. And, and now he says for this one, he goes, uh, you know, it's a former training partner. And he's like, I, these guys who I thought were my dogs, that I thought were my friends, you know, now, you know, I, 
they 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 went decided that the junior varsity guy was ready to take out the varsity guy, so they're siding with Gilbert over me. And he never says this kind of stuff in interviews. In interviews, he's been very cordial. You haven't really yeah. been able to get a sense of of what's really on his mind, but you can tell that he is pretty deeply affected by what happened in terms of him leaving uh, Sanford MMA for uh, Trevor Whitman and Co. and, and Team Elevation. And, and I, I actually watched that uh, Anatomy of a Fighter. It just seemed nice to see Kamara with even Justin Gaethje watching fights together. The community he's with there, I think it's nice. I mean, he was with a huge community, but he's got like a – it seems like Whitman's got uh, a smaller group but of a quality, you know? Like So I think he's in a, a good place, but – Fighting your teammate, there's. I think there's always going to be that little bit of tension between the coaching. Like, I there's for sure Camaro sitting back thinking about you know the way that Gilbert Burns getting attention, that the Noah stuff. So I think that's on his mind, and maybe that's why he's talking a little bit. But I think they had to create a little bit of tension in the relationship, and I think it's just natural to if you're going to have to scrap your friend, there has to be that little bit of um, disrespect, a, a little bit of shoulder. tension. You need that little bit of chip. I feel. Yeah, so uh, that's going to be really interesting to see um, what ends up happening there because, you know, we heard what uh, we were talking about this yesterday, Joe, when, when, when you had me on your YouTube channel yeah. where, you know, Cormier was on with, uh, with Helwani on their show on Monday and was saying, you know, the people in the room, they know. Like, they, they know who won those, uh, those, those training sessions. You know, they, they know who the better of the fighters are. They they know what's going to happen in this fight, right? So it just it was interesting to hear that um, that kind of conversation because you have to think one of them got the better of the other one more times than not in the in the training room. Yeah, and I think like if you probably put them together in straight grappling, I, I could see it being very even. You know, I, I like I just think of those two guys, the way they fight, their strength. I think it'd be even. You know, obviously, you no know, Gilbert Burns is. Uh, more better with his jiu-jitsu versus the wrestling of Kamaru. But uh, I would say the difference is probably in maybe the striking. I think the way they use their striking, I think Gilbert Burns is more that I'm going to break your face. I'm going to anything I throw at you, I'm going to hurt you. Where Kamaru uses more of a, a strategic approach to maybe use his wall control. Like he sets things up. And I think him being uh, maybe a little bit more overall of a a strategist more than Gilbert Burns who's there to just kind of run over you. Well, I think the reason for that is because Burns has the freedom. You know, like when you have that kind of jiu-jitsu credentials and you're, you're not worried about getting taken down, you know, a lot of the people that fight Usman are worried to get, about getting taken down. That's what neutralized Masvidal. You know, Masvidal had to empty the tank early because he knew in the later rounds Usman's probably just going to take him down. Um, and then when you're Covington, you're facing Covington in your Uzman. You can let the hands go because you're not worried about Covington taking you down. You, you feel like you can stuff those takedowns. Um, but with Burns, he has the freedom to let loose because if you take him down, you're entering his world, right? So yeah. all of the improvements he's made in his striking, that's really what has elevated him to the next level. You know, because when, when you take him down, um, you know, you're kind of in his world and he can, he can, he can grab your neck, he can transition, he can, he can, figure out ways to turn you around. And I, I spoke to Gilbert yesterday and he's really happy that uh, he um, doesn't have to cut weight. That, that's why he's been so successful at 170 rounds. He told me that when he went to fight Alex Oliveira, it was in, in Rio de Janeiro, he weighed in on the Monday at 183 pounds to cut the 55. So he's cutting nearly 30 Ooh. pounds in the, in the course of a week, right? About 25 because he gets the 56. So more like 27 pounds he needs to cut over the course of a week. He says he was 186 yesterday when he arrived in Vegas. Okay. So, so the weight cut to 170, as you know, as somebody who's cut to 170, 186 to 170 is a pretty easy cut. Yeah. I mean, that's usually the hardest of it. It sounds easy, but for a professional who's done it as much as he has, yeah, that's a, that's a fairly good cut. That's where you kind of want to be 10 to 15 pounds um, out. So, yeah, he's in good shape. But I, I don't understand how like he's that size. I've seen him... I think it was it was on YouTube. I think he was doing a grappling match with Gary Tonin. He was enormous. His neck, his legs, his he's a big, strong, solid. That's why, like you mean, you can't grab any limb. You can't grab his neck. He's just yeah, a big, he's got solid block. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, if you see that grappling match with Gary Tonin, he must have been uh, two, in two twenty at least. I'm telling you, of a just solid you think that big, brain. eh? 
Yeah, I'm telling you that. I was like, whoa, Gilbert Burns is massive, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, because I've, I've always in my head mentally, I play with the idea of, like, oh, okay, like, my size now, would I be a welterweight? Would I be a middleweight? And then I just look at middleweights, and I see how, and I was like, these guys are massive, you know? And I just think of, like, even Gilbert Burns and Kamaru. Kamaru, when I've seen him, he was He's massive. Kamaru's huge. Kamaru's got to walk around at over two bills. Oh, like I can't, I couldn't believe the size of Kamara. I would say Kamara at least two, two hundred five to two ten. Yeah, like on his off time. And he's like, tall insane. too. He's like six, six one, six two, probably. Yeah, I, I was. What do they have him listed as? Because he Burns is about five ten. I don't think Burns is all that tall. Just a block. I see. Gilbert, Gilbert the block Burns. I'm gonna so call him Burns. I think is like. I'm gonna guess he's five ten. He's not that much taller than I am. If I if I yeah, can five, recall, five ten, five nine, maybe even shorter. Five ten is what he's listed as. Um, and uh, Kamaru. I would say Kamaru's about six, six foot maybe. Kamaru's listed at six, yeah, and I think he's taller than six, if I had to guess. He's he's pretty tall, so he'll have about a two or three inch height advantage. I uh, I I interviewed Gilbert Burns yesterday, and uh, I my I said to my wife, I just you know I'm really happy with how that interview went. I've got really good chemistry with with him. She's like, oh, who'd you interview? I go, oh, Gilbert Burns, and uh, she was like, okay, and I'm, I was like. He's a, a Brazilian fighter who's going for the championship. He's like, and his name's Gilbert Burns? He goes, I picture yeah, him like a yeah. reporter. He's like, I, <laughs> I yeah. go, yeah. I go, his brother's name is Herbert Burns. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not picturing these big Brazilian guys that can, that can, that can take your neck off. <laughs> what, what, got him, uh, what got him motivated in the interview? What kind of sparked his uh, the comfort? You know, I don't know. It was weird because I interviewed Gilbert and Kamaru about two weeks ago as well. And my interview with Kamaru was, went, went really well. My interview with Gilbert, I felt, was a little bit flat. It wasn't as good as it could have been. This time around, it was the opposite. Kamaru was kind of, he was on the go. I, I saw, I was, I think he was at a casino. He might have been at like Mandalay Bay or something um, when I spoke to him. You yesterday. heard the slot machines going? Well, he was on a moving escalator. And then I saw in the background, uh, like a, an arrow that said the buffet. He was like in front of a sign mm. that led to the buffet. So I, I knew he was in a, in a casino. Uh, and he said, look, how long is this going to be? And that usually means he doesn't have a lot of time. So I kept it to like seven yeah. minutes. It was quick to the point. Uh, and then when I was talking to Burns, he was in quarantine, right? So he's in his hotel room. He's got nowhere to be. And uh, he's just relaxed. He's excited for fight week. You can tell that he's really looking ahead, looking forward to it. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the con- so he, sorry, he, say the confidence I've, I've picked up on him listening to interviews, he just he seems really confident. Mm hmm. You yeah, know? which I mean is important, but you're the challenger, you know. But so he he it's making me think that he knows something we don't know. Like maybe he was the dominant one in the room that we don't, because a lot of people are assuming it's Kamaru. Right. Well, I'm happy because he gave me a good segue. I mentioned to you that he told me how much he weighed before the Alex Oliveira fight, and uh, all day I was thinking, how can I ask him about the Alex Oliveira fight? I, I was like, how can I do this in like a natural way? And thankfully, he kind of gave me the in. And the reason I wanted to ask him about the Alex Oliveira fight is because did you do you remember his fight with Alex Oliveira? It was like his second or third fight in the UFC. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Remember so he that. comes in. He's this big jujitsu, uh, you know, gold medal, world gold medalist in jujitsu. He's got big credentials. He's he's uh, he's considered to be you know a, a big time prospect at the time. And he was supposed to okay. face Josh Thompson, um, but uh, Thompson pulled out two weeks before the fight, and Alex Oliveira took the fight. And Alex Oliveira was brand new to the UFC, and Burns was a minus. Around the minus 800 favorite against Oliveira on fight night. Jeez. And we now know how good Alex Oliveira is. But uh, Burns yeah. said, you know, I watched this tape of this guy, Alex Oliveira, and he looked huge. And he's, I was like, there's no way he's going to make weight. And then he's like, he says, okay, I saw, you know, he made weight. And I looked at him and I was like, okay, so, you know, we're good. And then he said in the first round, I took him down and I thought, this is going to be easy. I'm going to destroy this guy. You know, I, I was able to just take him down easily. And then, and then he's like, and then... Oliveira started to, you know, really, it started to strike with me. It started to hurt me really badly. And I was like, okay, I, you know, he goes, I, did, I couldn't click in. He's like, I just kept thinking I was going to beat this guy so easily. And I totally underestimated him. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you remember that fight, basically Oliveira won the first two rounds and was winning much of the third round. It was basically over. And, and Burns was able to snatch a submission with like 45 seconds left in the fight Ooh, okay. and win the fight. So I said, like, you know, is that the fight where you, like, how much did you learn from that, that one experience? You know, he was pretty new to the UFC at the time. So I was, and I was thinking about that all day yesterday before I interviewed him. I was like, I really want to ask him about this one fight because I feel like that was the fight where mm-hmm. that really made him. And he was saying basically that fight and his three losses that he's had in the UFC like have helped him more than any other fight. He's, he said that he's lost to Michelle Prezerish, uh, has lost to Dan Hooker, 
trying to remember who the third person was that beat him, but he just said those losses are really what's made him the fighter he is now. Uh, and it's cool because his tear is all in welterweight, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. All, all of his streak is in welterweight. He hasn't lost at welterweight. So, you know, the, the good thing about that is he has that adversity. Whereas Usman, I feel like he's just been on cruise control since he's joined the UFC. Like, he hasn't really had any... I'd say the most adversity he had was against uh, Covington, where they were just kind of in a striking battle, and, and Covington was hitting him with some big shots. And, I mean, Usman was getting the better of the exchanges inevitably, but I think that was probably the most turmoil he had because we know how good Colby is. And, you know, nobody's ever questioned Colby's talents. Um, so that was... Uh, I feel like that's really the only real adversity that Usman's had in a fight. So I'm interested to see how Usman will deal with adversity if Gilbert can hit him with something or, or Gilbert can, can grapple with him and out-grapple him. And I feel like Gilbert's the guy that's going to be able to do that. I feel like Gilbert's the person yeah. that's going to be able to kind of give Usman something he hasn't seen before, a new look, and then we're going to see what Usman's all about. But everything I hear about Usman, you know, when, you, when you're hearing Trevor Whitman get interviewed, it's just like this guy's just working round the clock nonstop. He's never... Yeah. You're never done so I just I love this fight for that reason I just I think that we're going to learn so much about these two guys and the one thing which which kind of is, is scary a little bit we saw Kamara have so much success with you know Hooft and Sanford MMA that maybe this change um, a lot of times change could be worse because I feel like him working with uh, Whitman Whitman is a technician so I'm not saying this is the case, but uh, this happens a lot to fighters that they realize the subtleties of the striking. So Whitman's probably like, turn this shoulder back, keep it because I'm listening to Whitman when he's throwing his stuff. And I like Kamara will throw his right punch and then keep his shoulder square. So I see Whitman readjusting his shoulders, fixing things up. So sometimes all these little corrections makes the fighter think, man, maybe I didn't know striking as much. Maybe it makes him think twice. So. I'm playing devil's advocate. Well, perfect examples in Ganu. Could be a wrong, you yeah. know? Yeah, in against Derek Lewis, I think, is the perfect example of that. And Ganu said, like, he was so afraid of losing. He ha- he was trying all these new things because he had a new coach. He wasn't really working with Fernand Lopez much at that point in time. He had transitioned yeah. over to Eric Nixick, and we've seen what Nixick's done with him since then. But he said, basically, that fight, he, like, just wasn't himself. But, uh, I mean, the good thing about Usman is he had Whitman in his corner for his last fight against Masvidal. He's been with, with Whitman for about a year. So I'm sure the comfort is probably there by the, by now. Would you Would you agree? Yeah, I would say so. It's just the confidence aspect, right? I think that's the key in your coach is, do you, am, am I going into battle with the confidence of my coach and I trust my coach's knowledge? And I think that's huge. So if he's at that position, yeah. I think Whitman is perfect for him because he's teaching him the little bit more of the subtleties of striking, the hit and not get hit, the movement, where Gilbert Burns, where I think his advantage in this fight is is that Dutch-style power that Henry Hoop brings. Like In mid-range, I think Gilbert Burns has the advantage because he'll sit there and throw two, three punches to like try to knock you out, where Kamara will try to probably evade it, close the distance, grab, and he just manage distance. So I think it's that mid-range power that if Gilbert lands big punches there, I think that's where Kamara's going to have trouble. Yeah, well, well, Gilbert won't have Henry Hooft in his corner because uh, Hooft basically said, I don't want to coach against Usman. Yeah. I, you know, I know him so well. So I asked him who his corner's going to be, and I'm trying to remember who it was. So it was Greg Jones, who's the wrestling coach there. Um, it's Vicente Luque. Wow, okay. And it's, his, uh, it's, it's his coach from Brazil. His first coach from Brazil is going to be in this corner, who also coaches Luque. And I'm trying to remember who the fourth person was. He's, he's got Logan Storley there with him to train. Like, Storley's in town with him to kind of emulate kind of the, the wrestling-based fighter. I'm trying to remember yeah. who the fourth is. I, I'll, I'll try to remember by, by the... Because uh, I'm even yeah. sure who... Uh, like, I could imagine... Oh, like, I remember who it is. It's, um, it's, it's, the, it's the BJJ coach there. Um, Hog, Hog, uh, Wagner Hocha, the, former UFC okay. fighter. Wagner Hocha is in his corner, too. Sorry, go ahead. The Brazilian guy. Yeah. There, I always see. I, I just never know his name, but looks familiar. He reminds me of little... Uh, Jay-Z, Calavante, Cavalcante, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jay-Z used to train with those guys like too. Like him, right? Yeah, yeah Wagner's a short, Wagner's a smaller guy. He's fought in the UFC. Yeah. But uh, I was saying with Henry Hoof, I'm sure, like, your coach is your coach. Your basics of the last two, three years are all there still. So, I mean, whether Hoof's in the corner or not, I'm sure he's still doing pads a little bit with uh, Gilbert and here and there. Oh, but for sure. Who knows? Who knows? You know, who knows? I think this has been the, the, the excitement of the fight. 
Um, that's been the storyline. Like if, if you watch all the UFC promos, it's like when teammates yeah. collide, you know, like everything is about the teammate storyline. We talk about it. Um, I just think I, as a coach, like I don't know if I'd be able to handle that, but I also coach a different style of martial arts. My gym isn't made to breed fighters. You know, I'm here to, I want a fighter just as I much want a, a 67 year old man to try martial arts for the first time. I want women, I want kids. So um, maybe once you're in that mindset and that type of uh, facility, it might, you know, understand. But also, I'm sure these guys are making close to half a million dollars, if not more in this fight. So would I want to fight you, Aaron, for half a million dollars? And you probably fight me for half a million dollars. I do, I do what Canseco did over the weekend. Just take a dive. <laughs> just seconds. take a dive. Hey, we'll, we'll set something up. But that's a lot of money, you know, to not, you know, fight someone that you've probably trained with. So, I mean... I don't think as a coach I would like it, but I understand the guy's mindset and what's on the line, so I get it. Apparently, Canseco made like a million dollars for that fight over the weekend for those 15 I know, seconds. I heard that. That was <laughs> absurd. Well, because, <laughs> that was ridiculous. Because whoever negotiated his contract did a good job. He got paid 50000 to show, 50000 to win, and apparently also got... If, if There was like a clause where if this was like the top-selling... They could audit Barstool, and if this was the top-selling... I think it's called, what, Rough and Rowdy or something? The top... The top uh, earning pay-per-view he got a cut he got a share of it and it ended up being the top earning pay-per-view and he ended up making a million dollars and he not bad a barstool intern yeah he fought a barstool intern okay and i think he, got... he just he just took a dive he pulled the old bob sap yeah don't take right. any damage right. take a dive get in and out collect the check a and nice leave mill yeah. yeah a nice quick mill for what like 20 seconds yeah in the fight or something not bad. stupid yeah, not bad at all. And, and the guy from Barstool was honest. He goes, I think Kinseko took a dive. <laughs> he goes, he goes <laughs> but I mean, yeah. that's the thing. You can still take a dive and it's not like fixed. You can just take a dive because you want to get your money, right? Like, that's yeah, not a fix. Yeah. That's just you making a conscious decision to have a very low risk, high reward approach. Yeah. Like, okay, going back to, this is a long time ago, but when Floyd Mayweather fought Tension Natsukawa. Did you think that was a dive? No, I don't think so. Fight? No, I mean Floyd. Floyd was it was a a boxing match, and Floyd was a much bigger guy than him. Like Floyd, and tension's like a, a a build like a buck twenty. He's not a big guy. He's, yeah, and his kicks, and he's known for his yeah, he's known for his kicks. And I mean, the thing about kickboxing is like you can't focus a hundred percent on boxing, whereas Mayweather's focused on. I mean, Mayweather's a generational talent in terms of boxing. Yeah. So I don't think that was yeah. fixed. I think that. Mayweather just knew he was going to be able to take whatever tension had for him. He wasn't going to get knocked out by tension's punches. He's bigger. I don't yeah. think they weighed in for that fight. I think I think Mayweather was probably twenty pounds heavier at least than than tension in that fight, and he just outboxed him, right? Like, yeah. Who knows? Maybe with all these celebrity matches, we'll probably start seeing more. I did you hear about um, Holyfield and how much he'd possibly make to fight Tyson? Is that what the next thriller fight is supposedly going to be? I think so. They're trying. They're starting to promote it, but I'm hearing like. They're putting in like five hundred, like uh, someone. Okay, I, I could be butchering the number, but like two hundred million dollars. No, two hundred million. Yeah, like, I'm telling you, it's something absurd that I read. The amount Holyfield and Tyson would make on this. Jeez, wow. Well, yeah. good for them. Yeah, like I mean, <laughs> you know? double check it, but I'm pretty sure it's something absurd. And Tyson's making more. If you got to think, if they well, Askren's apparently making seven figures. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you about that, actually. Oh, yeah. How do you think Askren's going to do against Jake Paul? I mean, I've, I've, I kind of say that I don't want to discuss this because I don't really care all that much, but I'm interested because we know that Ben Askren's not known for striking at all. In fact, he's got, it seems like he's got pretty rudimentary striking if you compare him to other yeah. high-level mixed martial artists. So, I mean, how do you, do you think, do you think Askren's going to lose that fight? Or do you think that Askren, just being, <laughs> having been a martial artist all these years versus a guy who essentially is a YouTuber, that Askren's going to yeah. be able to figure out a way to win this fight? I, I kind of mentioned uh, before that I actually thought, you know, when you look at an athlete, who's the better athlete? You know, Paul is. Jake Paul's the better athlete. Like, he's bigger. He's stronger. He's younger. He can probably run faster, jump higher, uh, throw punches harder. The only thing that Ben Askren has is that ring experience, which plays a huge factor in it. So I actually thought, like, I would probably think Jake Paul would win. To be, it I, think sounds crazy to say. I, I think Jake Paul's favorite to win. Yeah, I think it's crazy to say because as a, a martial artist, every, I kind of got a little bit of blowback. People like, you as a martial artist think that this amateur with two fights is going to beat someone like Ben Askren? I was like, Ben Askren, even in all of his MMA fights, he didn't throw any strikes really. Everything was just grabbing, grapple, evade. I mean, I just think 
you know, even Jake Paul being so um, unorthodox, not being clean, he's probably going to try to hit Askren to the back of the head, side of the head. It'll, it'll be messy exchanges. So I think Askren will kind of wear him out in a clinch to try to tire him out and, and evade that early power. But I'll, I'll probably, I, I would say a decision win for, for, for Paul. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, anything on yeah. the UFC 258 card stand out to you uh, outside of the main event? Uh, I, I like that co-main event between Grasso and Barber. I don't like the fact that it is a co-main event. I think you know that's not not the strongest of co-main events, but I, I like the matchup. Yeah. No, I like. Uh, I want to see how Barber can do. I mean, she's young. She's talented. Um, coming off that loss with Mataferi, which was crazy, and I remember you were saying uh, that was a knee injury as well. Um, she blew out her knee. So yeah, she's a talent that I'd like to see more of. I always like to see Kevin Ga- Ga- Kevin Kelvin Gaslin. Yeah, he he needs this one. This is a big bounce back fight for him because what well, he's lost three in a row. Is it? He lost to Hermanson. He lost to Till, and he lost to Israel. So yeah, he's lost three in a row. Yeah, and I mean with Ian Heinish, I mean he's sh- probably should uh, should win that. Yeah, I think that, that's, that's the, the kind expectation of the kind though, of matchup right? that he should win. But you just never know what his confidence is like going into this having lost three in a row. You know, it's weird because I think Gastelum at his best is, is a top three guy in the division. I really do. I, I, th- I just think that he's kind of had a bad stretch. But I think if yeah. we can see Gastelum come back to the Gastelum that, we, that we've seen in the past, and it, just watching him on UFC Countdown, it looks like he's in... Or, uh, sorry, on UFC... The embedded. Uh, embedded. He looks like he's in really good yeah. shape. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 one of that uh, embedded, I really liked it. I just like hearing... Uh, Rafael Cordero, the way he uh, talks to his team and he loves everybody. I was just like, listen, he just loves everybody. I mean, look at him. Like, he's just so, uh, I'm like, is that man really that positive all the time? Like, is he that nice? Like, every time I've seen him, he's just big smile, this big ball of positive energy. So, man, I don't know. But he looks like he's in a great place. So, mm-hmm, for sure. Let's do it. And I, and I bonded well with um, Gaslam and his team in, in Abu Dhabi, even Gaslam himself. The, the plan was for Gaslam to, to come train here and kind of do some cross training with me. Um, it's just COVID times. But uh, yeah, we, we I really bonded well with uh, Gaslam's team. Yeah, so, I, I think he's. Uh, good stuff. I think he'll win this fight. Um, I think that uh, the line's about right. He's minus 230 favorite. And I think a lot of that line is based on him losing three in a row. It's just like there's the thought that maybe, you know, he's peaked. But I mean, he's still, I think, in his 20s, is he not? Like, Kelvin's still a young guy. Yeah, yeah, I would probably say early 30s, maybe. I'll look it up. 30, 31. I remember he was always a random guess. Pretty but young. you're always good at these kind of guessing. Yeah, he's 29 still. So. He's still only 29. still in his 20s. Damn. So, I mean, he's like just entering his prime, right? Like, <laughs> So yeah. you, you would think that, uh, I mean, I know he's got some miles on him, but I mean, how, how many times has Gastelum gotten knocked out? Yeah. I, I, I just zero. I didn't, I oh no, he got, did he get knocked out by Israel? No, that went to a decision, right? I think he got knocked down. Yeah, yeah. I think he got dropped for a couple times in I, that fight. I think that's the only time he's been dropped. I just I, I look at him and I just see a welterweight. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but and I keep saying this every time. I just like I've stood with him. I've walked beside him. Like he's my height. His, he's five he's, nine. He's like five yeah, eight, five and nine. he's got small calves. Like he doesn't have huge legs where you're like, oh my god, his legs are big. I get it. He just doesn't seem like his upper body's like nice and thick and solid. But I don't think he has the legs and the weight to support it. But it, the success he's having, I mean, it speaks for itself. He's doing great. But uh, maybe that resurgence could come in, in a lighter weight. Who knows? Yeah, I guess we'll have to see. Uh, depends on if he decides to make that move. Um, yeah. So th- there's a. Uh... There's also the Jim Miller Bobby Green fight. I'm, I'm interested yeah. in that one. I want to see how that one goes. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, Jimmy Bobby Rivera, fight, Pedro so. Munoz, removed from the card, so that's uh, a big loss for that card. A card that already doesn't have a ton of uh, big names on it. And then uh, the Bilal uh, Mohammed Diego Lima, I really like as well. Yeah, for sure. That's going to be an interesting one. Uh, you know, big opportunity for Diego Lima. Um, and I'm, I'm interested. I'm. I wonder why Bilal even took this fight. It just seems like Bilal should be fighting ranked guys at this point in time, but. Uh, I, uh, he, he's, Lima's I think dangerous. He's, I think he's Lima's... the biggest favorite on the card, Bilal. Really? Yeah. That, that's surprising to me because I feel Lima has a style that's very awkward, wiry, scrappy. Um, once he hits you, it's out. I mean, I uh, was helping Chad Dupree uh, prepare for him and, and just watching some of his fights. He's very dangerous, hard to enter. Like He's got these weird timing shots to catch you off guard. His counter shots are good. Look at his brother and his family. Like he's he's got some. Uh, he's he's a dangerous fighter. So I mean, sometimes picking him as an underdog won't be bad. But I don't know against Muhammad. 
Well, uh, one thing we haven't discussed yet was this past weekend's card. The main event, Alistair Overeem taking on uh, Alexander Volkov. The co-main event, one of the highlight. I mean, the highlight of the year so far, Corey Sanhagen with that, mm-hmm. that flying knee uh, against uh, Frankie Edgar. And uh, a nice win for Clay Guida, the carpenter, against yeah. Michael Johnson. So those were the last three That's fights. It. Everybody was like, oh, it's so depressing seeing these uh, these legends uh, lose like that. And I was thinking, well, Clay Guida won. I'm like, well, let's not take let's not take some rub away from Clay Guida. Guida's in his late thirties. Yeah. I think Guida's almost forty, and he's uh, and, he, he he looked as good as ever. And hey, Frankie Edgar is still a co-main event fighter, you know, fighting ranked guys, you know, for title contention. So I don't know. The old guys are getting some love, which is yeah, nice. Overeem was four and one in his last five, and that one loss was to Rosenstrike in a fight that he won four and a half rounds of. And you got to, you got to, let me see if you agree or disagree, but uh, Dariush has to be one of the most exciting fighters in the UFC. Well, Dariush has that same kind of luxury as uh, Burns, as we were talking about earlier, is like he can let those hands go because if you try to take this guy down, I mean, you're entering, you're against one of the top grapplers in the sport, right? So, and and his striking has gotten so much better over the years, and that's what makes him such an intriguing fighter. Uh, in the year. And he's still young too. I think he's a 32 or something like that. So yeah. he he might be a dark horse in that lightweight division right now with Khabib out of the, out of the picture. What scares me about Dariush is he still eats big shots, mm-hmm. you know, and then he gets forward and starts going. So those moments of eating those big shots, he's just kind of right now. Sometimes it's it's exciting, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you're like, eventually you won't be able to take those. You and you know, hear Cordero like hates it too. That, Cordero doesn't want him sure. to take those shots. Cordero's in the corner yeah, being like, "No, no, no take it easy. Take, you don't need to engage with this yeah. guy." Yeah, but that's why I'm saying he's exciting because he fights like that. It's not the best strategy, but he's eating. He ate too many big ones. Like it's fun. Like even in his last few, he eats the punches. Looks like he's knocked out, then comes back. So he puts on exciting fights. Like he's getting a lot of bonuses for for his work. But uh, I like his style. I just think that he's gonna have to tighten up those little moments in his fights um, to really become that world champion. And it's a recent thing too. I'm actually gonna pull him up right now because he used to not get bonuses, and he used to be in some pretty kind of boring fights. But then if you look at his, mo- I'm, I'm wondering how many bonuses in a row he's got. And he's actually only 31. Surprisingly, he's turning 32 in May. And he, did he end up getting uh, an award? Right? Because I'm pretty sure I saw one where he was emotional. Uh, he received yeah, one of the he, UFC he won award. the comeback, comeback of the year, of the year award. Right? Yeah, because he was uh, yeah. he was up against it against I think it was against Drakkar Closa, and he came back and and looked good. So yeah, so his last he missed weight for that fight unfortunately against Holtzman, so that, so he didn't get a bonus for that one. He definitely would have. He had a spinning yeah. knockout, right? So let's yeah. say he would have gotten one. Uh, that would have been five in a row. And prior to that, he he only had one performance of the night against uh, so five Dar- against Darren in Crookshank in 2015, right? So. He would, he would basically, so he, if, if not for missing weight against Holtzman, he would have had five five performance bonuses in a row, having only had man. one in his prior, prior whatever, seven or eight fights. It might even be more than that. Man. That's got to be almost a record, no? Uh, maybe. I mean, look at Charles Oliveira, right? I, I'm curious. I don't know how many in a row he has, but he's got a lot in a row. But damn, that's impressive. What did you think of, I know you, you were talking um, very highly about uh, Manel Cape, was it? Cop? Mm-hmm, yeah. Menel Cop, yeah. Um, I thought Pantoja fought well. Oh, I had I had Pantoja winning all three rounds. I thought Pantoja yeah. won all three rounds. Uh, oh, actually, I might have given Cop the third round, but uh, I don't know. I think I gave Pantoja the third round too. I, I just thought that Cop was way too um, hesitant. He, he just wasn't he wasn't doing what like if he would have fought the entire fight like he did in the third round. He's got really solid boxing, and you know the thing that I don't like about him losing that fight is I feel like Cop against Figueredo is an interesting matchup. I feel like he could pose some real problems for Figueredo over five rounds. But, uh, yeah, Pantoja's a beast. Uh, you know, I thought Pant- I, I predicted Pantoja would win that fight. And uh, Pantoja just, like, he just was relentless the entire fight. He wasn't afraid of Cop striking. And uh, Cop was just, I think, too hesitant. He just wasn't pulling the trigger. And I should bring it up now. I... Uh... Since we didn't talk about it yet, your TSN edge picks were very poor this week. They right? were very poor. I think they were. They were extremely poor. That they were owing to. I only think two you owe me some money now, Mr. Broadsetter. I think. I'm Who did I have last week? Money now. You had over two. Uh, over it? two and a half two in the main. Half? Yeah. Yeah. I lost that so one. That, you lost that, and I believe you had Michael Johnson finishing Clay Guida. Yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah, those were bad picks. Yeah, yeah you got to call out the bad so weeks too, know. right? I did well last week. Do you want to hear yeah, what my Do you want to hear my edge picks for this week? I haven't recorded them yet, but I'll I'll yeah, give them to I you don't here. Because now you're gonna 
last time I rode heavy on uh, your picks, thinking you were going to ride the momentum two weeks in a row. So now I'm in a, I'm a little hole. So. Yeah, see, the problem, when people I know bet on them, they, they, they tend to fail. But, uh, all right, do all you want to hear my picks? Hear all right, so I got yes, Burns plus 240. So you're going Burns to win? Burns to win plus 240. Damn, all right. Macy Barber plus 115. Okay. Mallory Martin, Pollyanna, Vienna, under two and a half rounds, plus 195. Okay. Uh Jim Miller plus two twenty. Wow. Oh, and Gabe Green minus one thirty-five. I've actually got a lot this week. I got okay, five. This week. I got five. This I, week. I, I think uh, I think Bobby Green gets it done. I, I think Bobby Green. I'm, I'm riding. I just think I, mean, the, I just think the, the line's too big. I, I think the odds yeah. are too big because Miller's not the type of guy that's going to get finished. And Miller's Miller finds lots of ways to win fights. Like Miller could sub Bobby Green in the first round, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I just think Bobby's Green striking. It's going to be tough for Miller, his age. Well, Bobby Green's no spring chicken either. How old is Bobby Green compared to Jim Miller? I just think the activity, though, if you watch Bobby Green, how active he's been fighting. I think he probably at least fought five times last year. So Bobby Green is 34. Jim Miller's probably like 37. I'm going to to look it up. Yeah, 37. Yeah, sounds right. I see. I haven't checked. Yeah, 37. Yeah, so it's a three-year gap. But you also talk about activity. Jim Miller's been pretty active too, has he not? Like Jim Miller has Jim Miller fought three times in 2020, and twice in 2019. And Green fought. Green fought four. So they fought the same amount of time since 2019. Okay, surprising. Seems like Bobby Green was fighting every other weekend. Gotta get with the program here, Joe. Come on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, Bobby Green was winning his fights. I mean, that's what it was. Bobby Green had that almost won four attention. four fights in a year, right? He lost to Thiago Moises in his last one, but uh, yeah, I, I I like I think Jim Miller at plus two twenty is just too much. It's just too too much value to give up. But yeah, I'm I've got a lot of picks. I've got a lot of picks this this week. I, I, it's yeah. more than I've ever. I'm had. surprised with the women's fight though. Usually, the women's fight statistically, you'd want to go for decisions. For sure, a hundred percent. But you look at their finishing rates of both Vienna and Martin; they both like have finishing rates of fifty percent or higher, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you you also have to, have to look at that. People look at the division too much rather than the fighters, and I feel like this fight could uh, could go under. I might I might instead of doing uh, under two and a half, I might just do what what's the won't go the distance bit. It doesn't won't go to the decision is plus one sixty five. So I might but I, I mean, might I might do point, that. Instead. Though, like I always look at that two and a half, like. Most likely, if it's over two and a half, you might as well just go, you know, or like it's so close at that point anyways. Like there's no finishes that are going to happen in the last two and a half minutes, maybe two and a half minutes of the fight a lot of times. Right. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. So I I, I usually don't love that unless you're Eric Lewis. Right. uh, I wonder what the what the fight doesn't start round two is for that. I I could see a first round finish in that one. The under one and a half rounds is plus three twenty five. But uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd go that far. But uh, yeah, I, I think that fight goes on. I think there's going to be a finish in that fight. All right. So there you go. I like you, you the, got I like you the got the, you got the got... inside edge, not the TSN. The inside edge because you, you're hearing this first. Oh, the inside edge. Bro. So before this All podcast right. gets gets put out there, you might want to take them. So before the lines, because because people the, of course people all over the, the world lines, are right? are taking my picks. Right, my picks are so that there's there's so much value to my recommendations that everybody around the world when they hear them, they just pound the lines, yeah. and then, then they're just unbettable at that point in time. Well, I better jump on uh, the Burns line then before it goes down, since you're picking them. Yeah, the Burns line might might go up actually by the time fight time rolls around. By the time that line tightens, it might actually be better to wait until. The day of to, to take that one. You think you think Kamara will just become a bigger favorite? I do. I think I think that line will t- either he'll become a bigger favorite or as it gets closer to fight time they Burns tighten the lines. Well, they just tighten the lines. The lines are always w- wider early, and then once it gets to the, the actual day of the fight, they tighten the lines to try to draw bring in as much action as possible. They have less of a vig because they want to they want to get whatever action is left over. All right. Yeah. Well, we got the inside picks. Let's do better this week, Aaron. Yeah, we, well, we need to come back from. I'm last with week. you. Yeah, that was a that was a bad week. That was a bad week. But yeah. uh, you but know, I like how last week though, like, hey guys, welcome back to the TSN MMA show. Hey, I would just like to announce how great my picks were. And then although, hold on, you just hold on. But but remember what I said about that Clay Guida fight. I said take Johnson inside, but then safeguard with with Guida by decision at plus three hundred. I did say that, did I not? Okay, yeah, yeah, you safeguard That's a th- one of the picks at least. Okay. I, yeah, so I mean, hey, I know what I'm talking about here. I said yeah. the only way Johnson's winning that fight is inside the distance, and if he doesn't, Clay's going to yeah. win a decision. Yeah. 
Well, so, you know, you know hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You didn't announce how bad your picks were this week. If we're going to talk about it weekly, you're going to have to mention the good and the no, bad. No, I did. Well, I did on Twitter. I said I went 0-2, but I did mention that I thought okay. Guida, if he, if Johnson didn't finish. So let's say you let's say you put 100 bucks on all three of those. Let's say you put 100 bucks on Johnson inside the distance, so plus 245. You put 100 bucks okay. on the over 2.5. So, and you put 100 bucks on Clay Guida by decision. You'd, you'd be up. With the clay guida by the yeah, with the You'd decision, be up. yeah. Because what was the decision at that point? Plus three hundred. Would have been that was plus three hundred yeah. guida by decision. Yeah. Damn, that so, that, would, that should have been the bet. So there. if you but but I said I said in my TSN edge pick, take Johnson inside. But if you want to safeguard it, I don't think that Johnson's going to win the decision. So take guida by decision because if guida wins yeah, the fight, that's that. how he's going to win it. All right, you, you you got some cred back. You got some See? Good cred back. I know what I'm talking about. There you go. I mean, right. I, I don't like to be the I guy who bets both sides right. of a fight, but the, these are props we're talking about. I'm not saying bet on yeah. both Guida and Johnson money line. I'm saying what do they call it? Hedging your bet. Right? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a hedge. Hedging yeah, your bet. it's a hedge. It's called hedging your bet. Yeah, yeah. Because especially because I know a lot of my friends, I was like, what are you doing? Like, if they had a bet say on a football game like, that yeah. was like gonna. Like a, they had a parlay that or a futures this bet. game, you know, they would always hedge the bet by playing a little bit of the opposite. So at least they'll still lose a little bit, uh, win a little bit with the hedged bet. So, yeah, that's when you learn in gambling. Those are the terms you got to learn, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, the thing about me is I, I like to I like to take props more than I do straight up, you know, straight up. Because I, I just find there's more value. And if you can find a, a, a more likely outcome, then, uh, you know, that's that's what it is. It's just, just crazy to see how the success of a sport these days and with the fighting, like, the odds are right on the main graphic on the profiles. I think that's insane. I mean, I understand that it's, like, promotes – it tells the story of the fight. I think it's great. But the UFC were way ahead of the curve, to too. With you. We're trying to do that with Glory to get people excited. Yeah, the lines are coming out, I think, from Glory about a day before the fights, right? Yeah, they try. But we want to kind of – make it more public like i think it's great that like you don't have to know anything about gambling but if you see minus 400 and then in bracket favorite I'm like oh this guy's the favorite at least it's a storytelling you know but i like I to like, see glory do is like. partner with the daily fantasy guys with like a fan duel or a or a, or a draft kings and, and get daily fantasy going for uh for a glory because i think that would be a lot of fun is you know is, is having that tabulated yeah i don't know what to, what's this daily what is it yeah, so draft like if you if you use like a daily fantasy platform, um, it's basically like a fantasy. It's pretty much like fantasy sports. They they say, um, and you you basically you build a team. They give you like a they give you let's say like twenty five thousand dollars, and you have to pick your team um, based on salaries. Like so, let's say Usman or who's the biggest favorite that I say uh, for this card? Let's say it's Bilal Muhammad. Oh, I think you said Bilal Muhammad. Yeah, so like Bilal Muhammad would cost like twelve thousand dollars or whatever. Well, if it's twenty five thousand, he'd cost like six thousand dollars. And then, okay. then the lowest, like let's say Diego Lima, would cost like three thousand. And you got to build your team based on that salary, and you're awarded points for like significant strikes. Uh, if you get a knockout in the first round, it's worth like a lot of points uh, okay. versus a decision. And, and you do this per event. Yeah. Okay. So it's not like you pick a roster for the year kind of thing. No, like no, a, no. A it's not, yeah, it's not like fantasy football or because like that's too many variables. Some guy fight. Once a year, four right. times a year. Yeah. I guess that's part of the planning process too. But yeah, so it's event by cool. event. Yeah, kind of cool. So it's uh, yeah, it's worth taking a look at. It's it's, it's fun. It, it make it makes it a more it makes it more fun to watch. I think that's why yeah. people like to do it. it gives you something. I think to you root just for. learn about the sport and the fighters more. And me, to me, it's like even though like I'm not you know doing a lot of money on these gambling sites, but it's that little bit of now I can have these conversations. When we talk, I mean, it's like you can see who's the favorite, not favorite, which rounds, where are they expected to win, how are they expected to win. So you just learn more about the guys in, in the gambling way. Yeah, and it gives you something to talk about, too. It gives you, like, a, something to look at um, where, where you can kind of gauge, like you said, what the likely outcome is of the fight. Yeah, with no football now, I bet you uh, the, the, sport, the MMA gambling will go up. People need things to gamble on with no football. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Football does draw a lot of that traffic, um, and but I mean, there's basketball going on, there's hockey. You know, people find. But the, but for what I'm talking about, this daily fantasy, you can do hockey and basketball, or also, where you just it's just whatever happens tonight is what you're picking. Okay, so I can do some MMA and hockey in the same one. Uh, well, sort of. You can't like put them together, but you do it separately. But it would be on, on one night. Ones. Yeah, got it. 
We got it. There we go. I like it. You'd have fun with it's it, Joe. You'd have fun with it. I think so. Yeah. So, uh, I guess that's it. Uh, is there anything else that we missed? Anything? Uh... I don't know. No, I'm just trying to go through. Uh, We've got an update, here. though. I guess the tweet was deleted. That looked like there was an update that was about to get posted. But uh... Uh, yesterday, you were pretty uh, excited about uh, the Nate Diaz talking. I remember you mentioned that to me. Nate Diaz wanting to fight at 170. Yeah, I was really. Ex- uh, I, I think that him versus Charles Oliveira is a, is an interesting one. I think that you know a lot of people were getting getting on me about it, but uh, I, I just think that. When you, um, when you look at where Charles Oliveira is at, he's kind of the odd man out right now in the lightweight division because from all indications, they're going to book Poirier versus McGregor. I personally yeah. believe that's going to be for the title. I mean, people, people think that that's like a sham or whatever, and whatever, you can believe that if you want, and I, I don't fault you for that. I think Oliveira should be fighting for the belt, so it's not that I disagree sure, with yeah. you. I just follow the money. You know, like It doesn't yeah. make sense, but it makes dollars. That, that's the way I always think about these things. Yeah. Because they can still sell Connor as a legitimate title challenger. He's a former champion, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then it looks like they're going to make Gaethje versus Chandler. So who is left for Oliveira to fight? The answer really yeah. is nobody. Yeah. But if Nate Diaz sense. is I mean, coming out and saying, I want to fight Poirier or Oliveira at 170, people say, well, Oliveira gains nothing from, from uh, fighting Diaz at 170. And my response to that is, well, he A, gains eyeballs. If he's able to beat Nate Diaz, that's yeah. still a big deal. Nate Diaz is still a big draw in the sport. You get more eyeballs okay. on you, you add to your cred- uh, credentials and credibility, and you make a lot of money. And personally, I think that Oliveira would be a big favorite over Nate Diaz at, at 170 pounds. I think that he'd probably be a two, two or three to one favorite, right? So that if that's, an, too, if that's a think, fight yeah. that he should win, why not take that fight as you're waiting on standby, make a little money, add, add more to your, um, your household name, because the problem with him is he doesn't speak any English. So yeah. because he doesn't speak English, there's always going to be, he's always going to be kind of pushed back a little bit. I mean, the UFC is more of a North American-oriented sport. Yeah. And because sure. his English isn't good, or he doesn't speak English, the, the, the more marketable fighters are always going to get pushed above him, regardless of how good of a finisher he is. And he's an amazing finisher, and he's amazing most submissions in history. Awesome. But at the end of the day, if the, those are the two matchups, and I, I don't think that in the lightweight division you can sit around and wait for a title shot. I think the lightweight division is too busy. You look at yeah. Darius this weekend. You look at all these guys. They get wins. Then you, you become forgotten. That's all it is. And I think that, I think that it would benefit Oliveira to do something like that in the interim while he's waiting for that to clear up. Because if he sits back and waits, we know what's going to happen. You're going to have Poirier versus Connor for the belt. One of them's going to win. You're going to have Gaethje versus Chandler. Whoever wins that fight is going to fight for the title. And then where's Oliveira? He's just sitting around. He's going to have to wait a year yeah. before he fights for the title. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I, th- I think it's the right move for him to do. And I mean, I feel like a, a Nate Diaz or a Conor McGregor fight are like world titles almost. Like you, you're getting world title pay to fight these guys with, the, with that attention. So yeah, I think it, it makes sense uh, for, for Oliver to do that. Uh, my last question for you, Aaron, is uh, Kenny Florian came out. Did you hear this? No. And he said he had all this. It was on this uh, Anik Florian podcast and he came out and said he has basically inside scoop that he basically knows everything that uh khabib and yeah, gsp I, are I, heard, I did hear about sorry i did hear is about that this. is that like rumors is this kind of real like where, well, where's your mind ali abdelaziz poured a lot of water on that and came online i went on twitter and said there's absolutely no truth to that but i haven't heard anything um i don't know i would love to see it i think it would be awesome but yeah. I, I don't have any insight on it because uh, he was certain. He seemed like he got it right from GSP's mouth the way he kind of broke the news out. GSP so. is a brilliant businessman. Big time. His and whole GS- career he has and GSP like might be planting stuff. You know, GSP says a lot of stuff. He's, he's very smart, GSP. When, it comes, when you ask him a certain question, yeah. you know exactly w- what he's doing when he's doing it. If he's retired and he's not coming back, that's a, a way of him saying, I'm not coming back unless you are paying me and you're giving me the fight I want. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. And he and he comes out and plants those seeds, and he says, "Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I think yeah, maybe we have to get back into training camp if he wants to yeah. fight me." And blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? He keeps it open, which gets people excited, right? So. And but yeah. that's when that's that's a leverage ploy, right? Like, so who knows? For sure. But uh, I don't know, Kenny. <laughs> it's interesting. I that I I, yeah. I don't have any insight on the subject. I would love to see it, and uh, I, I'm not sure I believe it, but we'll see. 
Yeah, yeah. It almost seemed like he got it from like a Faraz hobby or something. I don't know. Faraz is the he's one of the most intelligent guys in the sport as well. So I mean, he's probably the one planting as well and keeping options open. And so I just thought it was interesting how confident Kenny Florian sounded. Yeah, I have to go and listen to the clip because I haven't heard. I just heard that he said it. I didn't hear how he said it. I didn't hear how how, yeah. he just how committed confident. he was to it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know from sources. Even Anik was like popped up and was kind of like, "What? Where are you getting this info from?" Kind of thing. So, speaking of uh, speaking of Anik, have you have you ever watched Bilal Muhammad's show? That remember the show? Um, I I've seen that it's on, but I have not watched it yet. It's it, with Anik's brother. Yeah, it's hosted and, by him uh, and Jason Anik, his twin brother, twin yeah, brother of John Anik. Yeah, I I actually I like before the show I like to listen to Anik and Florian sometimes because it just helps me kind of they, they do like a recap and then they do pro, bet picks so it just keeps me you know, both guys you can't get closer to the action than than John Anik yeah. Kenny Florian one of the most brilliant minds so to listen to these guys talk and break down the fights it's it's uh it really helps me prepare for this show I've been listening to John McCarthy and uh, and Thompson a lot. Because yeah, that they, one's good too. Well, Great. they recorded yeah, right after the show. They recorded right after the event. They sit down, they do their podcast, and then it's out on the Sunday. And I love that because yeah. on, on the Sunday, I want to hear. I want to hear what people are saying. I want to hear what yeah, what's yeah. going. We should do that. We should record right after uh, the event. Right after, because it's fresh. At Three a.m. You know? I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they're they're doing some good stuff. And the other one I really enjoy is uh, Luke Thomas. I, 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 he really surprises me how well uh, educated he is when it comes to fighting, distance, strikes, the breaking down of the actual techniques. And I think he studies um, not only the journalism side of things, he actually breaks down the technical side of things. I think he does a good job. Yeah, for sure. All right, Joe. Well, uh, it's nice doing this. Happy to do it. And hopefully we can do it again next week. That's it. All right, breaking man. him down. All right. All right. Hopefully your picks do well this and week. Check out the TSN MMA uh, show interview edition. Gilbert Burns, Kamaru Usman, uh, Bruce Buffer on the show. Ooh. Uh, Aaron Jeffrey, an up-and-coming prospect uh, yeah, from the Niagara region. Title, yeah, right? fighting for a title in CFFC. Elias Theodoru, who's fighting uh, in uh, Rise FC against yeah. former uh, UFC fighter Matt Dwyer. Dwyer, yeah. And uh, also have Macy Barber on the show and Kelvin Gastelum on the show. Big show. Hey, big show. Big time. Yeah, big so, drama show. So that'll be coming out uh, tomorrow. Uh, this will be tomorrow being Thursday, of course. And uh, Joe, thank you for your time. Awesome. See you guys soon. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.